Welcome to episode 46 of The Process. Bloom. Thank you for being here with me today. Appreciate you for coming. Welcome to episode 46 of The Process. I am Amante Martin. Today we have attorney Jasmine Johnson on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, attorney Jazz. Hey, what's up? Hi. How's it going? How's it going? It's going good. You know, just trying my best during this uh, pandemic. Can you tell the listeners where you're from? Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Jasmine Johnson. I'm originally from Miami Gardens, Florida. Um, I miss South Florida so much, especially right now when I know it's beautiful outside. And I just want to put my feet up and go for a swim and feel some sun. And it's, it's kind of chilly up there, too, in Atlanta, compared to the, down here. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm from Miami, but I currently live in Atlanta, um, and it is really cold. It's been about 65, 68 degrees every day. Wow. Could you tell the listeners what was it like growing up uh, in Miami Gardens down in Miami? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, like, I mean, most people I know down there, it's definitely a, a fast lifestyle. You see a lot. I don't know if you even really get to experience a whole childhood because it's always so much going on, whether that's like, you know, what's happening within like the streets, like crime with family and how it's affecting your family. It's very heavy with like, you know, drugs and gang violence. So I definitely have my fair share of cousins involved in hearing all about, you know, their stories being in and out of jail and how it's affecting my family. Um, I, Though it's been a hard background, I would say like, I still love the city. It's taught me so much. And it's given me an instinct that I think has really put me over the edge when it comes to my professional life and personal life. Like I wouldn't take it. So I wouldn't, I don't regret it basically being from there. Um, so did you have any siblings? Uh, were you raised by your uh, mother, your grandparents? So um, I was raised by my grandparents, um, Jackie and Jeff Hollis. They were, I mean, just key to my life. They have sacrificed everything for me to be in every single way. Um, my mother and father, they had me when they were in college and just 
I mean, weren't able to take care of me. So my grandmother was like, you know, told my mom, like, don't worry about it. Like, I'll help you with um, your daughters. And pretty much she raised me from birth. She's like all I know. Um, and has been such an incredible mother to me. And my grandfather has been such an incredible grandfather to me. Like I remember him going to field trips, being very active. He used to work um, at the Florida Department of Correction Officers. Um, and he was, I remember him telling me crazy stories about the prisoners down there and things that people would be doing in the prison. And then he'll do that at night. And then the next morning he'll be helping on the, on a class activity. Like he was so involved, so engaged in my education. And I think it also made a big difference in uh, having a father figure around and knowing that they like they were so invested in my education that it made a difference in me wanting to do well because they were there. They also have siblings. I'm the oldest of six um, and I love them to death. We all have very different personalities and I think they have also played a huge role in who I am um, and how I, <laughs> how I have come to be, frankly, because when there's so many personalities, everyone has a comment, you learn to get to conflict resolution uh, very quickly when you're the oldest and becoming a problem solver. Um, obviously, with so many of us, there were limited resources and I've always been very conscious of that. So most of my moves, have been like, you know, I'm doing this, you know, so my siblings could see that it can be done. And I remember being very intentional about that, like in high school and college. Like I just wanted them to know that like education was something that was within our reach, that we could do it. And being the first of my sibling group was like trying to blaze a path for that. Being that trailblazer in your family, was, was there any pressure associated with that? Did you ever feel any weight? Um, in terms of like you had to make it or else? Yeah, honestly, like sometimes I, even now I look at my life and I'm like, you know what, I, much as I love Miami, like, wow, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to establish a life outside of that, that I didn't have to like go, and there's something wrong with going home, you know, when you need to, to like, you know, get your things together. But I never had to go home and like relive with my family. And I knew that that wasn't really gonna be an option for me. Cause like, there wasn't no space. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it ain't no space. I'm just gonna get real with you, you know. It's, um, you're talking about six kids alone. And then two adults, my well, three adults, cause my grandparents and my mother. And it just, it's crowded. And I am 5'8". My brothers are 6'3", 6'4". My sister's 5'10". We're big adults. We're not even tiny people. Like, it just wasn't the space to be there. Like, literally wasn't enough space. And I knew that if I wanted to, like, not be back in that circumstance, that I needed to figure out what was going to be my means to it and, like, what was going to be my way out. And I knew very early that it was going to be, like, going to school. I always liked school, and it was my route of, okay, if you do good at, if you do good in high school, you can get a scholarship. Okay, if you get a scholarship, then you can get a good job and um, after you graduate college. And, and though that's not exactly how my whole life played out, but it, def it was the motivation to like, okay, I need to be more. It was a lot of pressure. And sometimes, frankly, I still do feel the pressure um, mm. because I want to set a good example for my siblings. And also find this balance of, you know, being a trailblazer, 
for them to feel inspired, but also empowering them to feel like they can do what they want to do. Like, you know, I, I know I get a lot of praise for being a lawyer and most people like lawyers, doctors, pharmacists, like those are all the careers that people look up to and like glamorize and, you know, but it's not the only way. And when you come from a family of six, like I can't stress enough the importance of letting them know that you have to blaze your own trail. Like I'm doing it to for to take care of myself, my future family. But the fact that I'm able to do this, that I grew up with you, we were together like living life. And if I was able to take the life circumstances, the cards that were dealt to me and win or or try to win, then you can do that too. I don't no, I think it's very easy for people to fall into a victim mindset of like, you know, this happened to me, that that happened, and that's why I can't do this. And the moment you decide that you failed because of whatever the circumstances, you, you you're right, you have you have failed. It's not gonna happen. Nothing is going to come to you because our, my mother died when I was in law school. I still had to, frankly, like I don't know if I can cuss from here. I had to bust my ass. Like, I I had to bust my ass. Like, I mean, my life didn't suddenly stop because my mother died. My whole world had changed in a second. And I still had final exams in two weeks. Like, so if you make, if you find an excuse, there will be an excuse. And that will be why you will not do well. It will be why you won't accomplish your goal. I think it's... Because you're speaking to something that, that kind of is dear and near to me is that this is the reason why we have this podcast is to let people know that they're not alone going through those, you know, hard times. I mean, I can identify with your story. I, I grew up in a house with my grandparents with nine people in the house and I only had one, one sibling, you know, all uncles. And yeah. um, and so I, I totally identify that with that. But it's also what you, you, took, you talked about, a very powerful point is that some experiences galvanize us to, you know, take that leap of faith, but some kind of become a crutch. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, how do you navigate, you know, am I going to let this, you know, be an anchor or am I going to let this, you know, kind of be a parachute to take me to another level? Um, and it's just hard, you know, being that first, that pioneer in your family, because I'm the oldest of six also with all stepbrothers and sisters. Um, and so it's just, you know, you, you kind of speak to my wheelhouse right now. Um, oh yeah, I mean it's definitely not easy. <laughs> it's definitely not easy, and you want everyone to feel good. Yeah. And you have to lead, and but you're still growing. And who do you lean on as the older sibling? Who yeah. is your older sibling where you can call and be like, "Hey, like, I need, like, I need help. Like, I don't know what I'm doing." Exactly. That's what that's going to be. That's a good segue into my next question. Is you know, being a pioneer and being so focused and so driven on the mission, you know. How's that in you? How 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 did you you know form your identity? You know, know your strengths and things like that. I definitely think it was like a lot of trial and error. And I actually like recently said to somebody like, to be real, like all I know is hustle. Like all I know is trying to survive. And I have a very strong survival instinct. I've learned that about myself. So when it comes time, like to do or die, Jasmine is always gonna do. I I work very well under pressure, and I don't know if that's always been the case or if I have adapted to be that person. But I've learned that when things are working against me, I know that I can get to the other side of them. Mm-hmm. Like, and in, in the midst of it, it doesn't feel that way. But I've gotten through so many of them already 
and I have a lot of faith in God, so that helps too. But I, I've been through so many hard times already. I know that I'm going to be able to get through to it. So I think, you know, I've developed into a person that has tons of resilience, a lot of faith in God, someone who is also like very empathetic. You know, I, because I have experienced so much, I can like see and put myself in other people's shoes and try to see like how they got there. I will say that sometimes though, like when I do empathize and like that, like that desire for someone to want to do more with their life so badly that I'm willing to see things to also help other people. And like, it's like, I know even for example, I have a sibling who was looking for a job. Like I was literally, you think I was looking for a job. <laughs> like I like I was on LinkedIn, I was on Indeed, I was on Monster. I was I was fixing the resume. Like I get so invested into the things that I care about and it's a um, a gift and a curse. But I think for the most part, when I use that for good, oh it's tremendous glory to God. Like it's I, I see it sometimes work out. Like I recently last January well, a few months ago, January, I went to India uh, with a mentor. And we actually were like trying to figure out, she's an immigrant from Brazil who came to America and like pretty much like bossed the fuck up. Like she owned uh, like 80 salons, waxing salons, Brazilian waxing salon, Andrea in um, the Southeast. And I mean, didn't even speak the language when she got here. And she met me and we took a liking to each other and she invited me to come with her to a mission trip. And seeing her like hustle and drive she reminded me of how much of it was inside of me. And we were like figuring out ways, like we were on the red light district there talking to women about like what did they want to do and how we could support them to do what they needed to do. And when I tell you, like we came up with so many ideas, we, we put together a whole mission while we were there. And I was like, this is a perfect example of like when empathy meets drive, ambition and God. Like yeah. this is, this is like a perfect manifestation of all of this. and still one of the most beautiful moments of my life of, of so far at least have happened while what happened while I was in India and it gave me that like more of a sense of purpose like yeah. when I saw all of my personality traits come together for like a supreme good that was like so far beyond me beyond my reach like in Atlanta like it was completely overseas and it humbled me so much that I was like wow like so long as I put my mind in something, I can get it done. Yeah, yeah. You're speaking this, it's, it's funny I'm identifying with so much. Um, I had a similar experience in South Africa, but I don't want to talk about that experience, but it just brought up some memories from that trip that I had. But you did mention, you know, I think a key point is that though the circumstances and the adversities may change, God stays the same. You know what I'm saying? Like through all your adversities, you can always lean on God. And Amen. His, and His time is always, you know, He's always right on time for you to for you to put you in that position to be able to go to India. And now it's just you know a little fire under you that'll fuel you uh, from from then on. You know what I mean? Like no, for real, for real. Actually, like that's so funny that you said those words like God always has a plan because that's been happening and I could turn this into no church sermon because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like really quick you know I last night I had randomly opened up my Bible and I had asked God I was like you know God like you know, there's something going on in the earth right now in the world and 
I, I don't feel lost, but I just want to be centered with you. I need some more of you. And I stumbled on this verse because it was such a good like scripture that I was like, this is what I'm going to focus on all week. And I've been seeing it everywhere. It was on my Instagram feed and then you just brought it up. And I'm like, okay, essentially about plans. Proverbs 61, the plans of the heart belong to the human. But the proper answer comes from the Lord. And when I tell you, it's like, you know, you think of so many things that you want to do and like how you're going to do it. And then your life just ends up differently, but maybe for the best. And you know, how his plan, submitting yourself to his plan and your personality, like your gifts, when you submit it to God, how he will double it. Yeah. And wow. that's, I think that's almost like a testament to who I am, frankly. Like all, I mean, truly all glory to God. Like there have been so many times, like I, I just like I, when I lost my mom, I was getting ready to buy a house. When, I remember when I was in law school, I had to pay for my mother's funeral. And I was $350 short. And I was like, I don't know how this is even going to happen. Like, I can't even bury my mother. Like, in yeah. hindsight, I look at that today as a lawyer, thinking 350 okay, write the check and boom, it's over. But yeah. in law school, that was like everything I had. Yeah, that was a check. <laughs> <laughs> that was a check, you know, exactly. Like, and I was driving on the street and boom, it was, I saw a plastic bag, a paper bag on the, in, the, in the street. I pull over, I told my sister to get out. I said, go get that bag. I opened up the bag, it's $375. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, no, all of this is God. It's God, it's God. Like all of it is like, I just have so much faith in him and like what his plan is for me and for other people that I can give my best gifts, even if it's by chance. My, my instinct of pulling over or my desire to be resilient and to push through. These are all gifts that I can give to God and how he magnifies. Hmm. Man, you got me uh, about to open up the doors of the church. Fast <laughs> around the collection. <laughs> but no, because I wanted to add, you know, I, I said a lot, a lot of the listeners will hear me say so much on the podcast that my favorite scripture is uh, Philippians 1.12 and it's everything that has happened to me has happened to advance the gospel. You know what I mean? So everything that you, even even your plans that you think you have, the reason that, you know, they don't fall in the line sometimes because God has a greater purpose. You know what I mean? He takes the least of these, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To make them as he sees fit. And sometimes it just blows our mind because we, we didn't even imagine the heights or the levels that he would take us to. And so with that, I opened up the doors of the church. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I was, was going to add, so back to back to your story. Uh, you know, what led you to Florida State? Um, and, and why? did you always want to be a lawyer? Is that something you always, you know, a dream career? Um, so I did a college for my junior year in, of high school, and we went to all the Florida schools. And Florida State was by far, like, my favorite it was beautiful like it had the brick buildings and the huge football stadium and the green with people outside laying out and playing volleyball and frisbee it looked like a college it looked so academic um but a lot of my friends were going to university of south florida and i really wanted to go there and my grandma was like no 
you're, <laughs> you're going to Florida State. And so um, I obviously went to Florida State and I it opened my eyes so much. I um, academically and personally, from the academic side, I studied um, English, editing, writing, and media, and communication. And I had great professors who created, like in hindsight, had great coursework that really inspired me. Um, I took a class called Mass Media Law, and I realized, like, oh, this is what I, like, I want to be a part of this. Um, when I was in, I graduated college in 2013, and I went to set for that class in 2012. And if you think about it, even within our lifetimes, how much technology has changed. I mean, I was alive when like it was a phone on the wall with no ID. <laughs> and you know, now we're here. We have one device that can do everything: browse the web, make phone calls, send the email, send the e-fax, like everything. And uh, the class was all about the intersectionality between communication, media, and law. And I was like, oh, this is this is the space I want to be in. And it inspired me to go to law school. Um, I went to law school um, and I knew, I wasn't sure how to even get involved in like this particular space. So I always like would find work, find opportunities to be within like media and entertainment because it was like a subject that I just cared a lot about. And I've always really, en I've always enjoyed entertainment like most people, but it's, I think of all of the legalities behind it. I can see a movie and I'm like, wow, how long did it take them to get, I see a TV, uh, uh, excuse me, I can see a movie on TV and I'm like, wow, I wonder how long that license uh, took to negotiate. I wonder how much they paid to have this. I wonder how much the, how, much, how many royalties the actors are getting, who's getting paid the most. Like I, I've always started doing, I did that when I was growing up. So, um, it, it seemed like the right fit to me and I'm very grateful and like I again I thank God that I actually ended up in a role where I'm counseling at Warner Media Entertainment doing exactly that like I'm doing exactly what I always wanted to do well, it's a dream come true frankly that's a blessing I want to ask yeah. a, like a, kind of like a side question um because you know my wife graduated law school and I hear all the law school application you know the horror stories and things like that I wanted to know you know how did your major you know, help you during law school? And then is there a major that you would recommend that someone was taking to go to law school outside of like pre-law or something? Um, I think that, I, w I think my English degree could probably prepared me for um, a lot of the attention to details. So it was editing, writing, and media. So I had a firm understanding of like the writing process. I knew how to write. I knew the the power of rhetoric and how to use it um, to support a premise. Um, communication, I think, is kind of was maybe more of a an art that was changing and that I wanted to be a part of. So I don't think that my communication degree helped me very much, but I think English was a huge help. I would say any major that's going to require you to do lots of reading <laughs> and yeah. critical thinking so if that's like philosophy um theology even because it's a lot of reading interpretation and synthesizing so if you're able to walk away from college with those most basic skills 
you can go into any law class, whether that's courts, con law, crim law, evidence, and read the cases. You you'll be able to interpret it and synthesize it into like a you know one or one to five lines of like this is what it's about. That is the key to law school. And it is hard, as everyone says. I remember someone telling me, you're going to apply to law school? It's so hard. Um, are you going to be able to handle it? Like, trust me, like, your first year. And I remember thinking, like, girl, you don't know what I can handle, okay? Like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't bring that energy over here. And wow, they were right. Like, I had never worked more hard. I mean, I've, like I said, I've always loved school. I've always had really good grades. College was not very difficult for me, frankly. Like, I mean, I did have some hard days. Actually, college algebra beat my ass, but <laughs> everything else, like, was pretty easy to me. It yeah. uh, was pretty easy to me. And you know, it, it took so much time to learn or to, like, relearn how to do those things because I wasn't reading a whole lot of something before I started. So... I would say if you're if you're considering law school, it, if, and if you're not in a major that you think like communication, for instance, that's gonna directly help you with your uh, law school experience, still take the time to read and, and read for pleasure. Read nonfiction. Read books about law school because the more you get used to reading, <laughs> the better. Because you're gonna read so much in a day that you have to train your eyes frankly to read quickly and you need to develop critical thinking fast so that would be my um, practice reading <laughs> would be my uh, <laughs> uh i was gonna add so diving into your law school experience you know how was that 1l year you know and what got you through um uh, 1l year was you know really hard um it was a lot of cold calling and i remember being cold called for like contracts and his name was Professor Brown. And he called me for a case that I read, but it was such a long case that like, he was asking so many questions back to back. And he was the kind of professor that if you were on call for that case, that was your case like the rest of the semester. So like, you better remember those facts the whole, like the rest of the semester. And oh. I didn't, <laughs> yeah, insane. Um, and he called him to me and I was like, I, got, I was so nervous and it was like the first time I got uh, cold called and I did not do well. And I remember going into the bathroom crying my eyes out like, I've embarrassed myself in front of my colleagues and I, like, no one's gonna respect me because law school is still very competitive. No one's gonna respect me, no one's gonna trust me. And I, I mean, I cried and my friend Mark and he and I like even studied for the bar together. He was an incredible support for me and he pretty much like told me like, shake that shit off. Like next time he calls on you, be prepared. And I never got cold called again and was not prepared. Like the professor, I knew I had, I had began to study. So like I began to study in anticipation for the test immediately. So I would think of, I would be reading a case. I would like do my notes like, okay, what questions do what information, why is the professor having me read this? What information is the professor going to try to pull out of this case that's going to be important? And sometimes I didn't always get all of it, but I knew so much of it that I gave such a good dialogue for the class because I had thought so much about the case. Mm. Um, and it made a it made such a big difference. Um, but so 
that, that's what I mean by like law school as it being hard because I mean yeah you can it could be easy and you're not gonna do well <laughs> you know, you know it, it, if law school was easy for anybody I would say that they probably didn't do very well because it takes so much time and energy but above all effort to try to get it no one is naturally a lawyer and the incredible thing about it is that it's a practice like you know you can argue the same facts both ways that's supposed to be the beauty of the justice system and if you aren't figuring out how to think on both sides of the pendulum then you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your education in law school that, that seems like a steep learning curve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, how did you, you know, how did you persist through, you know, two L, three L year, even, you know, having losing your mother? So two L year, it was pretty hard. On so two L year, the way I, so I went through fall, and my mom passed in October, and then uh, yeah, at the end of October. And then I had my NPRE, which is basically the ethics portion of the bar exam, the week after my mother's funeral. And then the week after my mother's funeral, it was final. Um, so it, it was a lot. And I, I would say that I am someone who can compartmentalize, which is not always a great thing. Um, but Emory, uh, believe it or not, it, it's a definitely prestigious academic institution but they do care about their students um the dean pretty much told me they were like you can take the the semester off like you don't like have to do this in the spring like, you don't have to do this right now like and pretty much tell me I could take as long as I needed and then they would work with my professors on when I could come back and I told them no because I remember I'm the oldest of six I don't have the luxury of like my father, my grandfathers aren't judges. They're not partners at a law firm. But they can like pull a few strings and I have a job. Like that, I, to me, if I delayed my education any like any further, I wasn't gonna be able to be, to graduate with the people I studied with, basically my network, my colleagues who have seen me and be able to attest to, you know, what I was able to do. Um, and, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't have no money. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I was broke. So how was I going to earn, you know, if I did take the second year off, I was going to, like, not have any money for another nine months? That wasn't not an option. Um, so I, the, the school, I told the school I'm going to go, I'm going to continue. And they were like, well, if you stay, you have to go to grieving counseling. And that was the best thing that happened to me my second year of law school. Wow. I, they made me, I had to go weekly. If I missed an appointment, the dean was notified. I never missed an appointment, but that is how much they gave a damn about me, wow. the student. And so I, my therapist there, her name, she was an amazing therapist. Like I loved her so much too. She pretty much coached me through like my emotions and so much I came out of you know working with her that it like going to school was still tolerable like I still had my days where like I would go to the bathroom and cry and she reminded me that that was okay like so and I also had such a great support system I had friends my professors like they 
they were so they empathized so much with me that like they they were there with me. Like, I remember graduating with my friends and we were, like looking at each other like, damn, like we really went through all of that. Like it, and, I mean, I lost a mom, but like people have lost grandparents, people have lost kids. You know, someone, I mean, our, our class is pretty crazy. Someone went on trial for murder. I mean, it was Whoa. so much, I know, I know crazy shit. And we went through so much and I was like, I thank God that I had the support system. Because again, like, you know, I, I'm the first attorney in my family. I'm the, I'm a first generation college student. I'm a first generation graduate student. I'm a first generation lawyer. So if you're doing all of these first, like who can you talk to about these these experiences? You know what I mean? Like, you know, my grandparents, my mom, my stepmother, my dad, they love me unconditionally, but they're not able to relate to my experience as a law student. Yeah. And like what I'm going through, like they're telling me, oh girl, you know, it's fine. Like, you know, just take a nap and you'll be okay. Take a nap. <laughs> Take a nap. This is not enough for no sleep is gonna big. I have like I still gotta deal with it. <laughs> I still gotta deal with it. Exactly. So uh, I was a grief counselor and got me through that so much. And um having a solid support system of women, men who just rallied behind me and like it helped me when I was feeling, you know, not my best, they carried me enough until I was able to continue on my own. That's beautiful, because y'all carried each other through, you know what I mean? And yeah. That's good, you guys. I mean, mm -hmm. they're still my riders, like, for real. I mean, we took the bar together. It's like the, it's like going to war with society almost. Like, it's, you know, it's such a connection you get to have with them because no one knows, or even like, I mean, I think most lawyers all have a common thread of like, damn law school <laughs> like you know we all damn we you know it's it's and it doesn't necessarily end because i definitely still have days you know and as a practicing attorney like studying reading a lot of cases and it's not nearly as bad because i can do it at my own pace but the skills i learned in law school i mean are invaluable as a practicing attorney and that's a good leeway into my next question how was that transition from law school to you know the workforce and where you are now um so i was when i first my first job out of law school i had a really good job and i mean i do credit a lot of the where i'm at today especially at warner media like for my first job for my first job um but when i was there i mean you know you're working under senior attorneys and like in your eyes at the time they know everything and i felt like i knew nothing <laughs> like I felt some days like am I gonna get fired because I don't know enough information like I just don't know and I, I felt like I was gonna be fired for like almost a year until it was like girl they're not gonna fire you like you <laughs> and um I mean I guess it's a little bit of the imposter syndrome like you know you work so hard to get to this moment you're in this moment and you feel like, do I even deserve to be here? Like, is this is someone going to take the rub from underneath me at any moment? And I had to get very comfortable with, like, you know, accepting that you know, I'm not always right, taking feedback, you know, how to use the feedback. Um, also figuring out what was my work personality. Like, I was in, I was the youngest, blackest person in the room. <laughs> and, 
I, I mean, that not to say that, um, you know, my team, they were definitely like culturally aware. But you know, I was, I didn't go to a law firm, I was working in-house. And when you're working in-house, you know, your clients are the business teams. And, but you know, business, you see a lot, you hear a lot from business teams. And then you're thinking like, you know, are they respecting me? Are they disrespecting me because I'm young? Is, is this being interpreted negatively because I'm a woman? Because hmm. I'm black? Like, and that, that certainly has happened to me before. And I would say most women, I, no matter the profession, that they have experienced that. Um, so I, I would say that that first year out of law school working professionally was kind of hard. It, it was a lot of like figuring it out who I was and who I was going to be and bring my authentic self to the role mm-hmm. instead of like the role bot like, oh, hi, hi, yes, this is Jasmine. You know, it was, hey, yeah, it's Jasmine. How can I help you? You know, it, it became more myself eventually. Um, now that I'm in, I mean, that was now almost five, four or five years ago. I am in another role and I have, I have switched jobs since then. Um, I had to take a leap of faith. Like I was at a job that I was very comfortable with, that I was, you know, learning tremendous skills within mergers and acquisitions, which is, you know, as elite corporate laws you can probably get. Um, and I, I mean, I was doing deals I was working on deals that my friends were in law firms were not doing, like not even like seeing. And, you know, so I I left with very good skills, but I wanted more. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to get more, so I had to apply for other places. And uh, I found another role at a startup, but, you know, I I was there and I was giving it my all. And I realized that, you know, this startup thing just isn't, really for me like it's just too many things up in the air it's not enough organization and you know it's not my personality it doesn't fit with who I am I, I can't be my best self here I can't even bring my gifts here because there's nowhere to put them yeah. so then I just started looking again and I got the role at Warner Media, and it was a long interview process and you know I had have uh, my own legal practice like outside of you know being an in-house counsel full-time like where I do like some things for some of my friends who are entertainment clients who play in the NFL um MLS and that, that kind of also gave me a lot of like entertainment and media experience I was reading their contracts I was helping them negotiate it I was um basically trying to tell them like I, I kind of look at my role as a lawyer frankly as a translator like my job is to translate legal concepts and terms into everyday language so people can understand it, mm-hmm. so they can make a decision. And especially working with athletes, like it gave, like I was able, it taught me how to break things down so simply and thoroughly that it it's, it, it became a, a skill set, something mm-hmm. in my toolbox, <laughs> and it helped me get the job at Warner Media because I know working with entertainment clients all day, every day, like in film and television and internet, social media, they want to know, can I get this done? Yes or no? Why or why not? And um, I would say that all of that experience after law school helped me get the best. Wow, that's awesome. I want to take a step back when you said, um, you know, your first job out of law school. I want to ask, you know, how do you, what advice would you give to an individual graduating in law school and setting those boundaries to be their authentic self? 
Yeah, so I would say, you know, first, spend some time figuring out who you are authentically. Like, at home, like with a journal, a meditation, you know, whatever that looks like for you. I remember for me, you know, I and I think me and you had this conversation, you know, offline a few times uh, before, but, you know, figuring out who I was. Mm-hmm. Like, outside of, you know, being an attorney, um, outside of being a sister, outside of being a, 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 a daughter, what were my values? And that's when, when I understood what my values were, I was able to take my values my personality and and I believe at the time I actually like I'm such a nerd but here we go so I googled like about a list of values and it was like oh probably over a hundred and I went through each one and wrote down all the ones that I liked and I kept funneling it down almost like a damn like March Madness bracket <laughs> <laughs> like no seriously until I got to five and if I went to my journal, I can probably find them all. But I remember they, they were likely were like excellence, resilience, power, um, gratitude. And I'm sure it was something else. But like I, I remember the words because I, I had sat down. Okay, I want to bring, you know, these roles, th- 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 these values to my job. So if you want to be powerful, you know, you can't take on the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because like, that's exactly like the it's really no different than the scenario of you know you letting your life trauma affect what you're gonna do for yourself for your life it's really no different that's basically the imposter syndrome but in corporate america yeah, <laughs> like definitely. It, it, it definitely it definitely is and you know, i can't i can't be preaching this to you know my cousins and to my siblings and like I'm doing this in the workplace like I'm a coward because I'm afraid to speak up and then I I started to feel confident in like not knowing everything and asking questions like it's okay if I don't know and if they have an issue with me not knowing they will let me know but I think that me knowing the information I need to know to do a good job is worth more than you judging me for not knowing to begin with And so, I mean, it it, it took a lot to get there. So I would say, you know, do the time, do the self-work. Anytime you take time to heal yourself, to, you know, pour into yourself, it's going to bloom. It's going to blossom into something. So I I think that my life is also a direct result of me taking time to manifest it. To, like, sit down and, like, plan it out, to think it through, to be intentional. So do those things. Find out who your authentic self is. Take the time. If it means you don't go out and you don't watch, especially right now during quarantine. I mean, don't turn on Netflix, you know, pour you a glass of wine, pull out a journal, pull out a whiteboard. Actually, I did, I pulled out a whiteboard and I mapped out this job at Warner Media. I did that in March of 2019 and I got the job in January, 2020. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. But like that but I took the time to it's it's almost unreal, but my friends, my closest friends, like I I, I showed it to them when when I was doing like this is where I'm at. Cuz I had to take the time to figure out what am I doing? Who am I? And when I did that, I got so much more confident. Yeah. And it 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 does start with yourself first. So before you can take your authentic self to your professional spaces, determine who you are. And what are you doing? Is your job aligning with these values? How can you bring those values to the role? 
And anywhere you go, how can you make it a better space because of these values? Mm. You have to be willing to do the work. Yes. That's, that's, that's key. So looking back over your life, you know, so far and everything that you've been through, um, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I would definitely tell myself, <laughs> I mean, not to sound all girly, but you know, don't pay attention to these boys, girl, focus, <laughs> focus. Like, you know, I think that, you know, energy, I mean, I definitely learned a lot in a romantic space as well, you know, because of feelings. But I mean, I think that if I had used that energy towards something that was just so not for me and to myself, who I could have been today. Yeah. And I don't regret it. Um, because like I said, I mean, I still left with valuable lessons, but I, I could have been some, I mean, I, I, the best is still yet to come for me. Like, I mean, I feel like I have reached a level of success, but, um, as in like, I have a, a, a role that I love. I am in programs. I, I endorse programs that mean a lot to me, human trafficking, women's empowerment, women's entrepreneurship. Like I, I have found my roots in these things and they're definitely beginning to blossom um but I would say you know girl you can do anything you decide you want to do always think twice about what's worth your energy I was going to ask um you said this word that stuck out to me at least three or four times on the podcast what does blossom mean to you blossom so um I started a, a nonprofit called Bloom, actually, and it's about, it's a women's organization here in Atlanta, and it's all about empowering women to do the work so they can be their best selves. So we put together different programs um, to do that, like different events, and in the midst of the pandemic, we've had to completely become virtual. Um, so we have been, you know, coming up within a few weeks, I guess y'all the first to know, you know, we will be doing a Breathe with Bloom, which will be a meditation and a manifestation, like, practice where you can essentially go into IGTV five to ten minutes once a week. You can do this meditation and it's supposed to open up, you know, more to you. It's your invitation to take care of yourself. Mm. Um, we also are going to be doing a Bloom grant where we're going to award a small women-owned business um, within the United States um, a grant so they can continue to, to develop their business. Um, I believe that financial independence is critical to the women's movement. <laughs> yeah. And not in a bad way. I think that if you're able to you know, take care of yourself, um, without anyone. And I mean, I will tell this to a man too. Like, I don't even date men who can't take care of themselves. Because I mean, like, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't yeah. date nobody who can't take care of themselves. Because it's your <laughs> Exactly, because now it's your job to, to, to do that. So, so long as someone can take care of themselves, we want women to be able to take care of themselves. And if you have a business, a small business, it's so difficult. It's so, so difficult because you, you know, you might have a full-time job and you just need a little bit of an investment and but you don't want to give a percentage of your business away for a sum of money and i recognize that as a lawyer i see that and i want to help women be able to get grants to do what they want to do and so they can develop their own financial independence and i mean it's really no different so yeah so bloom is what that's really all about bloom and blossoming blossoming 
And I think ironically, but maybe not so ironically, my name is Jasmine, which is also a flower. And at my mother's funeral, my Uncle Philip, who's an incredible pastor in DC, he did uh, a little segment where he like talked about the meaning of my mother's name and the meaning of each of my siblings' name and how much is in a name. And one of the unique things about a jasmine flower is, you know, it's um, it's a Persian flower that is very fragrant, but it's it's a vine almost. And like when you have one, it's gonna like, there's no such thing as like a soul jasmine flower. Like it's mm. gonna be many of them in a space. And it. I remember him giving me the explanation of just like blossoming into, you know, more. That there's always going to be more. And that's how I live my life. Like, especially after my mother has passed, that there's always so much more for me. Like, I have this, but, and I'm grateful for it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm so grateful for it. But I know that there's still more out there for me to have. I know that there's still more that I'm blossoming into for, like, as a woman, as a friend, as a sister, as a daughter, as a granddaughter. And I, I'm always trying to be more. What does uh, trust the process mean to you? Uh, trust the process means to me having faith that whatever you're going through right now is for your greater good. So we want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today and just, you know, opening up the church and just, you know, talking to us <laughs> <laughs> about your experiences and how God has moved in your life. Um, do you have any lasting words that you would like to leave with the listener? Yeah. Um, you know, no matter what you believe in or who you believe in, whether that's a God, the universe, make sure you also believe in yourself. Because if you don't think that you can do it, then no one else will. So have faith in yourself. Have faith that you can overcome because it's you, it's your life. No one, your life is just a direct result of your own decision. So if you decide to be great, God damn it, you can be great. But if you decide to do nothing, your life will show that. Uh, where can the listeners, you know, find you to tap into your movement and what you have going on? Or just if they, you know, like the episode and they just want to reach out and uh, give you their review. Sure, of course. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Attorney Jazz. And if you're interested in Bloom or would like to know more about what we're doing, you can find a Bloom on Instagram at women that bloom um and if you would like to email me about some of your comments or if you want to talk to me more about law school entrepreneurship or you want a free copy of my book quick guide to business plans you can email me at attorney at jasminejohnsonlaw.com and i will get that to you This concludes episode 46 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and to like us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you. Trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered like that was my thing you know oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave not only on the industry but the effect that I want to leave on people
being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.